What is up, internets? Welcome to Self-Defense from All Angles, the podcast where we try to expand the conversation surrounding self-defense. I'm your host, Randy King, owner of 8020 Conflict Management Strategies. This week, we are talking with Chris McCaskill. He is a cabinet maker as well as a black belt in a karate style. He is a very old friend of mine, one of the first people to actually bring me in for a seminar. So in this episode, we talk about workplace violence when it comes to construction. We talk about people expressing themselves physically and the effects of that on people who don't know how to express themselves physically. We talk about cross-communication. We talk about women joining the construction field and how they're coming in higher and higher numbers and how the culture is shifting around it. And of course, on the Patreon portion, patreon.com slash Randy King Live, Chris shares a story where he was in a workplace situation where he de-escalated something that could have potentially went really, really bad. I love Chris. He articulates a ton of stuff here very, very well. He's added to my lecture lexicon of ways I'm going to be teaching workplace violence courses. So highly recommend you watch this whole episode, check out the Patreon, and we'll talk to you soon. If you, your organization, or your company are looking for more information when it comes to proactive self-defense that is education-driven, I'm available for workshops, seminars, and keynote speeches for your group. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Self-Defense from All Angles podcast. This week, we have my friend, Chris. Chris is one of the early Randy King adopters. He hosted me for one of my first seminars. He was integral in me becoming the person I am today without the success of the first tour. I don't think I would have kept going. So I'm very excited to have Chris on the show because Chris has a really cool martial arts background, but also... And the point of the show is he is not just a martial artist. He has a job where he's not just teaching people. So he has a different take or view on some of the things that maybe us full-time instructors are lacking. And that's the point of self-defense from all angles is to talk to people who are not just echo chamber instructor to instructor. People are actually living through stuff. So Chris, how is it going today? Fantastic. Love to see everything that you've become uh, since I first met you. And uh, it's a thrill to be here. Thanks, Randy. So Chris, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. I'm a cabinet maker by trade. I'm also licensed as a general carpenter. I've been um, making things professionally for about 35 years. My entry into martial arts started largely because I grew up in some pretty awful neighborhoods. Grew up in the States and then some pretty awful neighborhoods in Canada as well. And so martial arts in the beginning for me was really a way of sort of figuring out how to, how to take care of myself. Interestingly, as the training continued, as, as I grew into adulthood, uh, my reason for starting training changed. And uh, and now it's sort of, I, I think for, for many of us who've been doing it for a long time, it's just sort of how we're wired. It's something that makes us who we are. And I love the fact you brought up that why you started is not why you continued. I think that's a very common theme with most martial artists, right? Oh, I did this to lose weight or not get bullied or learn about a culture. Now you're obsessed. Like now it's who you are as a human being. Yeah, and it, it changed as well. I mean, the something that I think is probably really worth mentioning is none of the training I ever took part in ever actually helped me with the violence I experienced as a, as a kid growing up, completely unlike. And probably the first time I began to encounter people who um, who kind of understood that, uh, it would have been, uh, well, it would have been you and it would have been Rory. Rory was very instrumental in sort of helping me uh, unravel that that puzzle, traditional martial arts versus real life. 
Exactly. Rory has, he's the godfather of this, as far as I'm concerned. I know there's some other people that did some other stuff, but his books were the ones that hit me the most. And I'm very lucky to have the relationship I have with him doing the tours and stuff and just getting to pick his brain is pretty sweet. Chris, what is your definition of self-defense? It comes down to anything that helps you look after yourself. From my perspective, it's not just about violence. It's also about setting boundaries. If we're looking in particular at, uh, say, workplace situations, it's about establishing relationships, not just your safety boundaries and emotional boundaries, but also what you're willing to put into a job, uh, what you're willing to accept in terms of behavior from other people. It's really about defending your bubble, I guess, is, is perhaps uh, one way to put it. I think that's a great way to phrase it because that's exactly what it is. And obviously, as you know, I'm huge into boundaries and all the mm -hmm. community support and stuff, because like we mentioned before the show, the reason why my teaching has changed is not because I think the other stuff is unimportant. It's that the clients that I'm servicing, the things that I was teaching maybe 15 years ago, didn't function. Just like you said, right? Like what you learned in martial arts wouldn't have helped you in any of those situations when you were younger. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really what's flipped it over. So the coolest part about this is you work in the construction field and there's got to be some issues in that field that are both all over the place, but also just exist in that field. Because I've done some construction work. I was a framer for one whole summer. So uh, I know a little bit about the kind of culture. Plus I'm from Alberta, right? We're very, I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. We're very blue collar. That's who I dealt with when I worked in bars. That's where a lot of my de-escalation comes from. In your experience, what are some things that people don't know about violence in the workplace when it comes to construction? Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, the key thing is that as a rule, construction is a physical activity. And so you've already got, um, you've got, already got people who are accustomed to physical work. They're going to be extremely strong. They're often, ex you know, accustomed to expressing themselves physically. And, and that's something that can often make people who aren't accustomed to mastering a physical vocabulary uh, quite uncomfortable. I mean, my wife, for instance, teaches up a, at the university here, a Western, uh, in English. I mean, she's, she's gotten quite a bit better and her friends have gotten quite a bit better knowing me, uh, sort of understanding the importance of physical vocabulary. But largely, uh, most of society, I suspect these days, lives in, term, lives in words and thoughts. And I mean, I'm not articulating this very well, which is just, it's really evidence of how I, I'd much rather express this physically, <laughs> this idea. I, I I disagree. I think you're articulating it very well. And I think let's walk this out because this is a very important thing. It's almost like a experiment or almost like cross-cultural communication going from somebody who's internally using words and emotions, maybe somebody more academic like your wife would be, and then people who ex express in a physical vocabulary. What are some of the ways that people express themselves physically that might look crude or uncomfortable oh. to others? Fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, I, when I was thinking about uh, before coming on, I was thinking about a couple of incidences that I've witnessed at work actually taking part in where someone merely gesticulating for them, it's, a, it's an expression. And the person that they were gesticulating toward uh, was taking those gesticulations as a physical threat. Right. And so in terms of kind of understanding the terrain, my job as a supervisor is to know when to step in. And I could see that this was a situation that was going to get out of control really, really quickly because neither of the two individuals was clear on what or how, what the rules of engagement were in terms of their communication. And so person A was really getting quite physical. Person B was starting to get quiet and bigger. 
one was using a lot of words, the other was using a lot of motion. And I stepped in bef before person B really felt the need to protect themselves. It was uh, it was a really interesting transformation to see. I mean, in, in this case also, person A uh, was, was holding a tool in his hand, a knife as it happened. From that perspective, this in a court of law, that would have looked really, really bad. But right. as, a, uh, as an incident on a job site, perfectly normal for somebody to be holding a tool um, as this fellow was. Complete misunderstanding on both their parts. And I was able to get in there just in time before the misunderstanding went wildly out of control. What a great way to start this podcast. This is such an interesting topic. And this is where I bet the allowances and affordances of each person was different. And I bet both people, nobody thought they were in the wrong. Right. One person was like, oh, that's how we talk on the site. Of course, I had a tool in my hand. And one person's like, that is not how humans communicate in any way because- exactly. Right. And this comes down to the essence of like the social kind of effective self-defense is the reactionary stuff where, okay, I feel threatened because of what I perceive as a threat, while maybe the person isn't being threatening. But I think this is the benefit of martial arts training. When you get to a certain level of full contact, and especially if you've grown up in a violent neighborhood, you, you know when a threat is actually a threat, or you've got a better idea of when a threat's a threat. You know, and in this case, person B was feeling quite threatened, even though it was really obvious that nobody was hitting him, nobody was, was grappling with him, no one was throwing him to the ground or pushing him around. It, it wasn't a violent situation. Doesn't make his interpretation of the situation any less valid. They had completely different affordances when it came to tools and gestures and that kind of situation. And I don't think without martial arts training, I think it would be very, very difficult to really internally understand the difference between a threatening situation and a non-threatening situation. On that note, martial arts is where the person who is only thoughts and words can play and learn the language of physical expression. Safely and in a fun way. Exactly. And then they can realize what's a threat and not a threat. Because there's obviously two camps out there where words are violence and actions are violence. And this is like you're saying, this is two separate people speaking two separate languages where people who have been in physical situations or who have lived a violent life, they know what a threat really looks like. And the people that don't might overinflate a situation, even though they feel it. And it's not, again, they're justified in that their reality, not the reality of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And as a person in a leadership position, it becomes um, one's responsibility to help members in a team figure each other out and work well together. They don't have to get along, but they, they do have to work well together. In your supervisory role on a construction site, was there a lot more dust ups? And I'm not saying like physical fights, like where there's going to be danger, but physical expression of dominance, was that more common? Is it probably more common than like an accountant would be? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you do get in the office and in the corporate world, you certainly do see, uh, you know, all manner of bullying going on. But on the construction site, again, things tend to be a bit more physical. I mean, in order to communicate to somebody, you might tap them on the shoulder a few times. That tap might even get as hard as, you know, uh, an audible slap, but it's just communication, physical right. communication, perfectly acceptable. But it's got to be perfectly acceptable among the players. So again, that comes down to reading the train, understanding the people you're working with, setting your own boundaries, right? If you're the sort of person who doesn't want to be touched, you've got to make that clear. And if you're in with a good crew, then everybody will just accept that and nobody touches you. It's really been interesting the last few years seeing an increase in the number of young women entering the trades. And I think it's wonderful because it adds um, 
I'm not going to say a new layer of complexity to communication because it's been, it's been going on for long enough, but you can still have a crew of guys that fall into habits that um, were maybe commonplace 20 years ago. And then the moment there's somebody of a, from, from another gender, and, and it could be any gender. One of the things that's uh, really remarkable about cabinet making, I find, if you can do the job, nobody cares where you're coming from. Right. Uh, you can have any kind of a background at all or any kind of a chosen lifestyle or biological lifestyle, whatever. You're going to be welcome if you can do the job. And it, it's it's really interesting how being able to perform well in a trade becomes this great equalizer. It's almost like two territories coming together. There's going to be a period of time where people are getting accustomed to one another, where things are, are uncomfortable. Well, they have to test the waters. And I think that's really interesting you pointed out because if we look at like conflict communication, for example, there's goal-oriented people and then there's community-oriented people, right? And in the trade, if you could do the job, we're all goal-oriented. Who cares what you do at home as long as you can get this done here and you're not a liability to the team? Absolutely. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's super fascinating because like everything you're saying with the, with the physical expression and with women now going more into the trades and with the goal oriented thing, I think we can do an analog to martial arts as well, because as women started coming more into martial arts, almost the exact same thing happened because they're entering this physical space. Right. So first off, it's like, Oh, there's one woman on the mat. Now it's what everybody's talking about. Right. This is like the news of the day. Oh, a lady's here. Wow. Right. And I'm sure same thing in construction. And then as it became more and more common, you start to get the women that will come in and they want to be one of the guys. So they'll adapt to the culture. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you'll get the women that come in and like, well, you know, I don't really want to be one of the guys. I want to do this for other reasons. Is cabinet making a field where more women gravitate towards like would woodworking be one of those ones? Or is it kind of just a general growth of women in the trades? I can only speak to that anecdotally there because I don't have I don't have access to the stats, but I I'm seeing more and more. I mean, my my youngest daughter is a first year electrical apprentice now. In my own shop, uh, we have just in the custom shop alone, there are at least half of half the people in the shop are are, are women. Half. Um, from a variety of different yep, from a variety of different backgrounds. Uh, out in the plant, it's probably more like. 30 to 40%. But then we've also got a, a sort of a cross range of people also from the LGBTQ community, and mm -hmm. uh, which I think is awesome. Again, it, it speaks to, if you can do the job, then you're right. one of us. And that's huge. You know, that said, I know contractors who recently have only had young women applying for their apprenticeship positions, and that's fantastic to see. Mm -hmm. So it, it's growing, it's developing. And I think the, the more young women who end up going into this, the more enriched the, the, the entire industry becomes. That's my next question. Are you seeing just a general shift in the culture from like 10, 15 years ago, where it's mostly male dominated and now it's yeah. like the culture is just kind of shifting as it's going, or is the culture staying mostly the same? Yeah, no, the culture is definitely shifting. That plays then in, again into this whole idea of the responsibility of someone in a leadership position. I think it's helpful to recognize and support these changes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, we've had a couple of awkward moments where privately I've overheard people sort of speaking negatively about these changes. And you, you've got to, it's not so much about shutting those conversations down, but you've got to make it really clear that those thoughts, you're welcome to your own opinion, but the voicing of those thoughts isn't going to be welcome because it ends up having a negative influence on the culture of an organization as a whole. I mean, to a certain extent, there's a there's a, gre a degree of kind of self-editing that needs to happen in order for a group of people to work well together. 
Well, and from what it sounds like, from what you're saying, anecdotally, as you mentioned, if you want employees, it looks like your employees are going to be female because that's who's applying for the job, right? So what are you, what are you going to do? Keep an old yeah. culture and have no employees? Or are you going to adapt to what's going on? That is super interesting. So let's go a little bit back to like workplace violence. So when we say violence, it's a very large term because it could be defined as defamation, it can be designed, defined as physical violence, it can be defined as bullying or deprivation. There's a whole bunch of ways to define it. I define it using the World Health Organization's version. That's on my course. That's available if you want to buy it, everybody. But on that note, when people are looking at construction, there is a higher level of physical incidents, obviously, because as you've mentioned, what you're seeing is a physical expression. And this is what I think a lot of people don't understand is just because somebody's expressed themselves physically does not mean they're going to get physical with you. Correct. And being comfortable around adrenal loading is, mm -hmm. is crucial because um, you You've, you've got you've got a group of different people. Each, everybody ends up receiving, like experiencing that adrenal load in different ways. It's sometimes what you're doing is absolutely terrifying, especially if things start going wrong. And uh, and that's where you can see some really sort of violent outbursts. I mean, again, it's about encouraging self-control, but it's also about sort of coaching the people who are in the vicinity to realize why, like if, if somebody has got a, a real anger issue, they've just made a, a bad cut or something fell or something unexpected happened and they get a spike of adrenaline and they respond by, I don't know, throwing materials. I mean, there's a rule. You can't throw materials. So there's going to be a talking to there. There's also going to be a quick chat to the folks who witnessed the incident, letting them know that this is just an expression of the adrenaline. It's not an acceptable expression, but it may appear violent, but it's not violence that's being directed toward any particular person. That, that's crucial to feel safe. It's so important and just things that I think people forget and maybe people like ourselves take for granted because I exist in physical space with bouncers and martial arts and so did you. And so these things that seem so minor, like, oh yeah, that's how Phil gets. He'll throw something. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Somebody if you don't know. Punch the wall. It's yeah. And I was going to say, that's exactly, that was my expression when I was bouncing is when, so as a bouncer, you don't always get to unload your energy on the person that's pissing you off, <laughs> right? So you need to put that somewhere else. And that was my thing. We had a 250 pound reinforced door and I would run up to it and punch it four, five, six times just to get myself back to normal. And we had to have a conversation with the serving staff and the bartenders that they're like, Randy, you're so nice. But then like, sometimes you're a psycho. I'm like, no, that's not me being a psycho. <laughs> that's just me being like, I need to calm down to get back to Randy being nice. Nobody's in any danger except that door. You can put, you can put 50 angry faces in front of me. I'm going to walk by all of you to punch that door, but people don't see it that way. Yeah. And we could go back even further. I mean, it was in the eighties, wasn't it Robert Bly who was talking about Iron John? And I remember watching one of his seminars many, many years ago where he was talking about groups of men are sort of the only groups where you can feel safe expressing rage or anger. Total bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. But one way of articulating it back at the time, I feel it's necessary when somebody has a, a, an angry outburst to get the entire crew involved in the discussion because it helps everybody kind of grow. It helps the person who had that outburst know that they need to quiet it down next 
next time and, and maybe again, self-edit or, you know, maybe there's just a little bit more personal repression. A little bit of repression goes a long way sure. in terms of the peace in a group. But also uh, there's so many people out there, the vast majority of people in North America, at least, just haven't had to grow up with that level of threat. And uh, and so they feel it. Yeah, I remember, um, I, think it was, uh, I think it was Rory who was talking about kind of the, the hierarchy of people. You've got really nice people and then you've got um, right. kind of manipulative people. You've got assertive people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, up to, up to people who are willing to punch you or, or you know, even kill you. If you're a really nice person, you're going to find everybody else up above really threatening. And that's, that's a, that's a tough place to be. So, you know, helping these folks understand that you know, it's really only these guys you need to worry about. And the rest of them are, are really just sort of expressing themselves. It helps them kind of grow their own space, I guess, their emotion, emotional space. You said it so well. It, it's, it's about the expression. It's about dealing with those emotions. And if you've grown up in a place where, you know, how you dealt with emotions, hit a punching bag or go for a run, then you might not have the same coping strategies that somebody who grew up in a family where talking it out was an option. Like in my family, we didn't talk things out. You got mad, go deal with it come back. Don't be a jerk about it. So I didn't grow up with the skills that I have now that I had to acquire with a lot of investment, both time and money to be able to talk to my wife and daughter the way I want to talk to them. Everybody likes to say, have like the gift of gab. I like to talk, but I didn't really say much back then. It was more like, what's up, bro? You see that show? Ha ha ha. Let's fight. Like it wasn't productive. It was just talking and learning how to do that. So both understanding the physical expression and realizing that just because that is your preferred way to express does not mean it's appropriate across the board. Like I can't talk to my daughter the same way I would have talked to a drunk out of a bar if I'm mad at her, right? There's, there's got to be some scaling on this a little bit. Now, that said, construction industry is also a place where you're going to get a lot of folks who are outside of kind of the regular parameters of society, right? So mm. you're going to get convicts and ex-convicts working. I had a, a fellow on the crew who um, was charged with assault twice. And he's, you know, that. so there's, there's a tricky person to manage. But again, you develop the relationship at the very beginning. I mean, there, there's a situation where I think being perceived as, God, and this is going to sound terrible, but this is a martial arts uh, self-defense podcast. So, I mean, at some point to be perceived as the bigger threat becomes extremely helpful in right. negotiating with somebody who is in the midst of a physical temper tantrum as an adult, especially somebody with a history of violence. Like, you, you know, you need to have the authority to be able to talk that person down. And we can even minimize this right down to parental units, right? Like mom can scream for 20 minutes and dad could say, hey, and whoa, dad said, hey, <laughs> now we're done here, right? That's the bigger physical threat. Basing it down, you're right, there is power there's armor in being the bigger threat that walks in because that will de-escalate a situation and it can be quiet it must be quiet I, yeah. and that's you don't want to I, I mean it's a very rare situation where you want to turn that stuff on and off yeah but you know having it there in your back pocket in your toolbox i think is uh is is an extremely helpful thing. I mean, mentoring lead hands who eventually will end up taking my role uh, is, is a tricky thing because they all have to find their own way of leadership. Part of that's going to be about, you know, recognizing that on a given job site, you're going to have half a dozen um, folks who've got real anger issues and, and potentially even a criminal background. So how do you negotiate your way through that? And that's all parceled in there with this whole idea of self-defense and uh, personal um, personal boundaries and stuff uh, at work. Well, it's community 
communicating at their level too, right? If they came through a system, let's say outsiders, right? They went to the prison system. Most of their talking has been through hierarchical talking, right? I'm the person in charge. There's two great pop culture examples of that, right? Like if you watch show Yellowstone, the dude, the lead ranch handy gets into a fist fight every so often to prove that you don't want to not listen to him. Or if you go want to be a little bit more nerdy, one of my favorite quotes from Game of Thrones is the king doesn't have to say he's the king. That And that approaches your do it quietly, right? Because the loudest dog barking, right? It's it's a little scary to some, but if you're a dog trainer, that's not scary at all. But the guy that like gets quiet and goes into a thousand yard stare and starts self-soothing, like, oh, right? This 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 is a different animal. I better get in there quick and have a chat with him. Exactly. We don't want this to go any farther. So you've experienced obviously some some workplace situations. I don't want to get into your story right now, obviously, because that's for Patreon. But what are some commonalities you see when it comes to escalation on a work site? It's textbook, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the thousand yard stare, the person getting quiet, the, the self-grooming, all that stuff is there. And if you can, again, if you can recognize it, if you can recognize the signs before something awful happens and get in there at exactly the right time, that's about reading the train. It's about establishing relationships with the people around you. And so one of the most important things that you can do to avoid trouble is, and we learn this in kindergarten, right? Introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Chris. Um, I'm with this crew over here. We're going to be doing, you know, this is what we're about to be doing. You manage expectations. If there's anything we can do to help you, happy to. And you just get that conversation going right away. That's, you know, that's, that's a pretty simple thing to do. As you get to know people and you encounter them again and again and again on site, you, you get a better view but um, of, of who, who, who they are, who you're working with. That initial reaching out and communicating piece is really crucial. I I can't agree more. And what I want the listeners to always understand is simple is not a synonym for easy. Just because it's simple to do doesn't mean it's not hard, does not going to take courage to go walk up to the person, doesn't mean you're not going to face these barriers, right? Because just because we know what to do doesn't mean we will do what we need to do in these situations. Uh, and, And all the way along through any kind of conversation like that, you're also gathering intel more helpful down the road uh, in, and not just in terms of self-protection or, or self-defense, but, but even in terms of uh, keeping everybody on the crew working well as a team. Right. And this is the benefit of the community is, you know, when you're with people, you learn about the people, right? You learn what their tells are. You learn what their escalation cues look like. You learn what what makes them angry and what to avoid. And I say this all the time to people, even though it's kind of shooting myself in the foot a little bit, is you could take training or you could take the little bit longer route and just do the experience to figure this out. You're going to get there kind of either way. I remember one of my first conversations with Rory, since we're talking about him, is I was talking about how I always knew when somebody was going to fight and when somebody was going to just bark. I just, I knew, I don't know why I knew, but I knew. And then Roy's like, oh, did you maybe notice their complexion changing? And I was like, oh my God, that's hundred percent it. But just from so many data points of de-escalating drunks, the same fight over and over again, I started to see the pattern and it became subconscious. It is important as an instructor for me to know how to articulate that. Yes. But for the practitioner, it's not that necessary, right? Unless you're passing on the skill to somebody else. Yeah. So you might already know how to do all this stuff. The point of our training, and I think the training is good when somebody goes, oh my God, I knew that, but I couldn't say that, right? And I think that's a really good sign. And I get that in a lot of the courses I run. They're like, oh, that's what we already do. I'm like, I know you do that. But now you can write it down in a manual and tell everybody what you do. And they're like, oh, and that's the value of this kind of training. Yeah. And to, to be able to share something, to be able to articulate something that is 
difficult to understand in the first place to somebody relatively new or, or coming up the uh, the hierarchy puts them years ahead you know playing a role as a mentor for uh, for somebody in their 20s who's, uh, who's who's really interested in eventually hopefully having their own shop or at least playing a larger role you know it's, it's your responsibility to take them under your wing and, uh, and 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 help them see these things it's not just about the trade it's not just about the physical skills or, or the the trade knowledge or craft knowledge it's also about how to get along with all the folks who are contributing to the well-being of the organization. Exactly. Chris, this is the perfect place to leave off the free show. We're going to be jumping over to Patreon, everybody. Patreon.com slash Randy King Live, where Chris will tell us his one-up story. Thank you so much for this. You put words to things that I didn't have words for. So this was a very productive conversation for me. I'm sure the listeners got a huge pump out of it as well. Promo for me, everybody jump on our TikTok at Defense Talks with Dad, where me and my daughter talk about self-defense. That's the big promo right now. She's really into the channel and trying to get it bigger. So we're doing that. Uh, I'm on tour with Rory Miller, the guy we've been talking about we're doing one month in europe five countries 10 dates come check those out all those will be in the show notes chris where can people get a hold of you uh, i'm really easy to find if you google my last name which uh, i see is written up on the thing there m-c-k-a-s-k-e-l-l mccaskill generally speaking i pop up and i'm on instagram twitter facebook um, linkedin i'm always happy to chat with people i do have a small facebook page uh for hoichi Ru london ontario i train and teach hoichi Ru. bulk of the work you're going to find uh me displaying is uh, is really got to do with my craft so as a, as a cabinet maker you're and definitely check out Chris's stuff. I'm a big fan of Chris, obviously. That's why he's on the show. That's why I gave him the big tire pump at the beginning. His style is awesome. He's very as you can hear, very articulate, and he knows what is going on in the real world, which is so hard to find in instructors. So if you're in the London, Ontario area, please go check him out. Other than that, we're jumping over to Patreon. Come say hi. And if you're not there because you don't want to support that part of the show, totally fine. Like, share, subscribe, hit all the buttons, even dislike if you want. I don't care. Just get it out there. It costs you absolutely nothing and does so much for the show. If you really like the show and you want to take an extra minute, I would greatly appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening to this on. So if you're on iTunes or Google Play or whatever, reviews are the super like. If you, the more reviews, the better a show does straight up. That's how the metrics work. So if you like the show, the best thing you can do to support it other than jumping on Patreon is to leave a review for us. Chris, thank you so much. We're going to jump over to Patreon. Talk to everybody either in a bit or next week.